Welcome to the Pharma Sales and Tech Podcast. Join Artem, Stefan, Ruslan, and Chris as we explore the latest trends and developments in the pharmaceutical industry with a focus on sales and technology. From cutting-edge innovations to practical tips and strategies, our expert guests will provide valuable insights to help you stay ahead of the game. Tune in to stay informed, inspired, and connected with the world of pharma sales. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. And today is again me, Stefan Rapin, marketing at Platform, still the same position. It's already getting boring, I guess. And we have a great guest today. It's a doctor, Dr. Rashmi Upadhyay. And as a matter of fact, uh, she has a great personality and she's right now, she's been through a lot of uh, journeys. And she will tell a little bit about herself as an intro. Welcome, doctor. Thank you so much, Stefan. It's a pleasure to be here on your show. And it's a pleasure to be talking about pharma industry, where I have spent considerable amount of time learning and having a 360-degree overview. So great to be here. Amazing. Okay, tell me about your, what are you doing right now? Like, what, what's your position right now? Are you working with someone right now? What are you doing? Yeah. So currently I'm based out of India, Bangalore, and I'm working as an independent consultant for pharma clients. And mostly it's for new product introduction, either in the global markets or uh, the vice versa, because a lot of companies are coming to Indian market and they want to introduce their products to Indian market. So there I work as who is navigating both the sites for the pharma clients. And also from the investment side, we try to identify a lot of investment opportunities in the market and try to take it to the relevant stakeholders who can find the relevance of these projects from the market perspective and kind of invest and bring the structure or the foundational aspect to a lot of these projects which are upcoming in Indian market. Other thing you must realize that, you know, if any pharma company you look at it, majority of these pharma companies are located in the U.S. because almost 40% of their revenue is generated. Any top 10 pharma companies, if you look at it, 40% of their revenue is being generated from U.S. alone, followed by China, which contributes around 10%. And now the next set of growth is coming from the EMEA market, from the BRICS nations and from the Southeast Asian countries. And that's where a lot of pharma companies are feeling the need to be present here to cater their products, to cater their activities in a very targeted fashion for this particular market. Interesting. So they're basically adapting their products to, to the local market and you're helping them connect the dots and actually launch the product in the market, right? Yes. Interesting. Okay. So are there any peculiarities about the Indian market that you would like future Let's say I have a drug. I have a drug. I'm in, I'm in the U.S. I have. I want to sell. Give you an example. OxyContin in India. <laughs> I want to sell Oxy in India, right? What would be the stages like through which you would take me as a consultant? Like, what what, what can you help me, and what would be the process? Yeah. So if you look at the Indian market, Stephen, it is evolving, and it is evolving with a lot of ambition. Because the Indian pharma companies, as they are coming up, earlier they were looked at as a manufacturing base for a lot of big pharma companies who wanted to get that economies of scale for manufacturing many of their products, ready products for the market. 
But now there is a shift which is happening. A lot of these pharma companies are now involving them into R&D process and they are ready now to capture the market in terms of new drug development or the preclinical trials. And so it's there is a considerable shift from being a service-based industry as it was earlier, the manufacturing base for the world pharma companies, to being now a significant partner in terms of the drug development procedure which is happening around the world. It is a significant contributor in terms of the research which is happening. Now, if you are thinking of launching any product in the Indian market, it is imperative that you study the demographics of the Indian market. The population genetics, if you consider, has been lagging a lot for the South Asian uh, countries. What has happened that all the preclinical trials being earlier restricted to few of the nations, the database which has been generated for a lot of these drug development uh, procedures are pretty much having data confined to a particular demographic of the population. It is not having all the segments of different ethnicity or the races involved here. So now whatever preclinical studies for these new products are happening are also involving a lot of South Asian population. And so if you are introducing a drug, you have to study the feasibility, whether your drug would be as effective as it was for your for the North American market or the European market if it's going to be as effective. Once you ascertain that kind of information... So, so that you got to do a feasibility test, right? And see how does it, the drug acts on the local population, right? Yes, okay. yes. That okay, should continue. be the basic step. And then you go towards the regulatory aspects. Uh, we try to restrict ourselves to the regulations which are being followed in the uh, European markets or the North American markets, taking them to be the industry standards or the benchmarking regulations. So a uh, lot of uh, regulatory uh, requirements which was needed for those markets are still relevant for the Indian market. Beside that, there are some stringent requirements for Indian market also, which is being implemented by government of India. So you uh, come and you take those uh, steps necessary to have the regulatory paperwork done in, in considerable amount. And wherever you need support, you have to involve the policymaker, the decision maker. And that's where we come into picture in terms of getting you connected with the policymakers or the regulatory authorities. And in simple terms, if I have to say, the paper clearance, which is needed for the launch of these products. And once that is done, then you ascertain the market, how big market you want to capture. What's, what is also seen that for the pharma companies, things which were working for you in another market may not be very relevant here. You might have to refine your strategy or completely change your strategy to capture the market. Then the fourth thing comes to pricing and you have to see how much you can play around with the pricing to capture that market share. And there also you will have to see how with that kind of price range, if you are able to reach the kind of the market share you are imagining or you are portraying. So a lot of things there we have to play around. Okay, so I would like you to tell me. So this is very interesting. So you're helping from, are you helping a company from A to Z or there are stages that you do not get involved? Let's so say, once they are ready to launch their product, that's where when we move aside and the who are in, uh, involved in launching these products. When I'm saying launching these products, the availability of these products in the markets in terms of the liability at the pharmacies or other places. Those are taken care by these uh, professionals. So, right, we are there in the strategy stage and uh, the clearance of the regulatory aspects. 
Okay, interesting. So let's say for the sake of this uh, podcast, let's keep the client anonymous. But do you have uh, maybe a specific example of successful market access for a drug which came from outside and you helped them go through A to Z? No matter was it your at your previous job or your existing job, doesn't matter. And you can keep the company anonymous for the sake of... Yeah, but I do have experience of uh, getting the drug introduced in the market, not for the Indian market, but there was a time when we wanted to launch a drug for the North American market. The Let's Latin, go. Uh, Latin okay. So if that's relevant, maybe... Yeah, that's very relevant. That's very relevant. Yeah, of course. So this particular drug was, which was as a replacement for the blood transfusion, was a plasma extender, which was developed by researchers from university. And it was a very promising method of supplementing the blood shortage during an accident victim when Mm -hmm. they reached to the hospital, all such scenarios, and they wanted to take it to the market. Now, there was a regulatory aspect which had to be fulfilled in terms of the approvals, the FDA approvals, the Federal Reserve approvals, and in terms of the research, the preclinical studies which were done, what were the requirements. Whenever the preclinical trials or the studies are done, there are certain aspects which the FDA revisits in terms of asking a few more experimentations. So those were taken care of, and once those hurdles were cleared, then it was ready to be launched. Unfortunately, for that product, we did not get the FDA approval for a variety of reasons pertaining to same the preclinical and the clinical studies. But in the Latin countries, we were able to launch that product successfully. And that was helping in survival, increased survival rate of lot of accident victims, burn victims scenarios. And it's still under deliberation for the FDA government and we are in talks. But this is how a successful market strategy happens for a product. Now, also the dynamic pricing. And now sometimes what happens, these products are so innovative that there is no comparison to the price margin which you would like to place. A lot of the pricing thing depends on the ability of the market to pay for that price point. And also your ability or your timeline to get to the break-even point of your research and also for the product. So I hope that satisfies them. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. I want to, in fact, I want to dig deeper. I want to understand how would you, like, for example, such a product, how would you promote and, and sell, distribute it, sort of a product on a new market such as Latam you mentioned? Yeah, so these kind of products when we are dealing, these are breakthrough products for sure. And when you are dealing, you have to rely a lot on the channel partners or the the localized dealers who have close ties with the hospitals or with the given market. So this product specifically, we relied a lot on channel partners who had direct access to the SCPs. And we also had to do a lot of educational seminars, workshops for the HCPs to find the relevance in this product. Once they found the relevance in this product, what we also did was a lot of education around the hospital staff, if this product, how to uh, store this product, how to freeze this product, what happens in case you need larger volumes, how to reconstitute this product. All those uh, scenarios, they were kind of enacted in the hospital setting to show how this particular thing works. And that is pretty much uh, can be transferred to other areas or other uh, product uh, introduction also, where you are relying on a dealer 
or a channel partner to take your product to the market. At any given point, strategically, we might be very sound uh, in terms of uh, studying and understanding the market. We might be very sound. But when it comes to having that kind of uh, access to the network which is needed to get your product in the channel or in the marketplace, you have to depend on the local players. And that's where the local players and um, these uh, local players, when I'm talking about the channel partners or dealers, they are in the industry, they are in this business, they are pretty stringent about the requirement, pretty stringent about the product. And uh, they also would like to involve with such projects where uh, their reputation remains intact. So because in pharma, the regulation is so high, the market is really, that's the biggest hurdle for this market, any barrier, when you talk about barriers to entry. So I think every stakeholder who is in pharma, right from the bottom to the top, is very much aware about this particular scenario. So they themselves are very vigilant in terms of what product is being introduced. They are, the regulatory authorities are very vigilant what kind of products are being introduced in the market, whether they are fulfilling all the compliance which is needed for the particular product which is going to be launched. But, uh, the HCPs, the physicians who are in direct touch with the customer, they are pretty vigilant. So you can imagine with all people being playing a considerable amount of uh, stake in this particular scenario, it's a very guarded process which happens. So they're all very vigilant, okay? <laughs> That's my understanding. Everyone is very vigilant. Okay, how about you? Like you, when you have this product, how are I would like to know more about how are you guys being vigilant about giving the right parameters so when you talk to your channel partner, you said, or your distributor, how do you teach them? How do you teach their salespeople that, hey, this is the product, this is the, these are the qualities, this is how you have to sell. How does that process happen? Yeah. This is how you have to market it, you know? So any product which comes to us, we need to have a thorough understanding. So all these projects and the information about the products, the documents which are submitted, they are all analyzed. They all, all are thoroughly studied in-house by people who are expert in their field in terms of pharmacokinetics, in terms of toxicology, in terms of understanding the market needs. And then we arrive on a given proposal, whether this project is feasible or not. So first, uh, due diligence is done internally, whether we believe this product is useful for the market, whether this product is relevant, and whether this product meets the criteria which it promises. Once you have done that, then comes the sales force with whom, or the channel partners, even they have their independent sales force, whom we have to train. So considering everything is now taken care of in terms of uh, regulatory aspect, in terms of the paperwork, and now the product is ready to be launched in the market. Now mm -hmm. comes the uh, salespeople. So what we start is start from the beginning. We train the salespeople in terms of the technical aspects of the product. Second is training these salespeople in scenario enactment, where mm -hmm. different questions which can be asked by physician, which can be asked by patient. They have to know what is the relevant answer or what can be promised. You don't have to overpromise. You have to state the fact. That's the ethical foundation which every person in pharma has to follow, irrespective of what role they are playing with it. Sorry, and I have a question. Who does the training? Do you are you doing that as the representative of a product? Are you doing the training? Or is it you're training the channel partner and the channel partner is, is doing is basically making up this? Uh, requirements and, and you know what they promise and what so, is delivered 
mostly uh, the technical aspect of the training is covered by uh, the company who has generated the product, who has uh, uh, launched the product. So okay. they are responsible for covering the technical uh, aspect and also a few of the questions which might be there. And then we come into picture when we have to uh, make these salespeople ready for the market aspects in terms of the marketing to physicians in terms of understanding the nuances, in terms of identifying the opportunities where these products can be pitched. So those uh, comes in our domain. Interesting. Okay, you have to be very careful with this, right? Because you, as a producer of pharma of, of drugs, you have to give the right promise to the to the HCPs, right? And without overselling, because that can have a negative impact on your uh, sales. And of course, on your reputation, uh, on the drug reputation, because once it goes bust, you will never be able to get neither the approval, neither the trust of the HCPs who will test the drug. And there are many cases where drug has failed, not in the initial phases of development, not in the preclinical trials, not in the clinical trials, but they have failed after being launched in the market because there were certain symptoms associated which were not there present during the clinical trial studies. So those drugs had to be pulled out from the market. So you have to be careful what you're talking to the HCP. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Lately, I was watching a lot of movies about the opioid crisis in, in the United States. And there have been many cases, where, you know, doctors initially would prescribe the drug to, let's say, stage four cancer. And then basically having getting a bribe, they would prescribe it to everyone else from menstrual pain to headaches, right? And that would create a lot of problems. A lot of people would get dependent on the drug, a lot of drug abuse. And that's what mm -hmm. formed the opioid crisis in the US. And they had to pull a lot of drugs from the market. The, so yeah, I think this is a very, very fine line between basically asking the doctor to, hey, can you please test this drug? I think it's going to save the lives of, of uh, And on the other side, you have a, such a thing as like, you know, the, you have to be careful with, the doctor has to be careful with introducing the drugs because they might create addiction and they could be, well, um, of course, it's not the case of your drug, which is, you know, and, uh, which is not, I guess, highly addictive, right? Uh, but in many cases, the doctors are very aware of the, of the, well, of the risk, of the risk coming from a new drug. Okay, yeah. let's change the topic. A lot of these uh, doctors also uh, periodically, uh, I mean, every now and then they train themselves, they update their knowledge base. They interact with the industry uh, colleagues to know if there are better drugs which are available for their patients. So it's not like it's a very passive thing which is happening in the pharma domain, in the pharma industry. Uh, it's a very active domain. Everybody is playing a very active role, including the HCPs, whom we are reliant upon for forming this new market. Interesting. Okay. How? So we talked, we spoke about the knowledge in the in the field for doctors, right? So they get updated, they go to conferences. How about you, Rashmi? How do you get updated about the latest, let's say, market access, sales, marketing, regulatory? Yeah. How do you find the latest news? So, well, one thing is our learning doesn't stop even after you graduate, even after you are from out from the college. So that ability to learn and you should be a voracious reader in terms of uh, the new information about the market, about your domain, about the new drugs which are coming in the market, about something which has been now 
didn't get the approval, the reasons behind it. So you keep updating yourself and any successful sales or marketing person will be habitually doing that uh, every day. Once uh, that is done, then you uh, come across the marketing uh, strategies or the sales strategy. One thing uh, which has not been very fair in the pharma industry is a very late adoption of the digital marketing. Banking was like one of the segments which quickly adopted the digital transformation, but pharma industry has lagged behind a lot. And if we talk about the kind of the digital marketing which is happening right now is very multi-channel in approach. We still are a little further away from the omni-channel approach of marketing. So when you when I say omni-channel, there's like having a seamless experience in multiple devices, whether you are logging from your phone, whether you're logging from your desktop, whether you are like logging from your iPad, you should see that seamless transition from one device to another device. When I say transition, in terms of if suppose I looked at some information in my mobile about a particular cancer, that should show up when I log into my iPad or when I log into my iPad, there should be some notification around attending a webinar to know more about what are the cures which are available for that particular cancer. Once I enroll into webinar, then I should get some information around uh, what are the new technologies which are evolving around that. So that's the overall omni-channel approach, like very seamless from one device to another device. And that helps the HCPs, that helps the patients. And uh, things are very dynamic now. The patients uh, are also reading a lot on internet. And with the advent of AI, a lot of things are pretty much uh, digestible in terms of the information which is there in uh, the internet. So the patient is also equally aware of all what all is happening uh, in terms of the disease and what all outcomes can be there. So, yeah. What do you think? You mentioned it's a very big topic, actually. So, simple disclaimer, we sell a CLM and a CRM at platforms and with the CLM, we are able to provide an omnichannel slash multi-channel experience. And therefore, my question, why do you think there is a problem from in between this transition from omnichannel to multi-channel and, and vice versa? What do you think is the, the burden there? See, when you are doing a very targeted approach, you are able to form that thought leadership around a certain thing, around a certain subject about which a physician is interested in uh, knowing more about it. As a company, you might have 10 products in the market uh, catering to different segments, but me as a physician who is who has expertise in diabetes would be only interested in knowing more about different conditions, different scenarios or different products which are available to combat that disease. And because I have to disseminate that information to the customers, to the patients who are coming to the clinic. So I'll be more inclined. When you are doing a multi-channel approach, what happens? You are thinking from your products. Okay, I have these 10 products. The, these uh, twenty, these five products are giving me eighty percent sales. Let's push this into the market. Right. That doesn't help so much. So one is targeted approach. One is like having that seamless experience for the customer to become an advocate of yours. Because uh, these kind of market, they are solely dependent on, uh, on advocacy, how you are able to advocate it to the HCPs. And then they are able to uh, kind of uh, 
advocated to their patient. If I have to cite you an example, I can cite you example of uh, the market, how it evolved in India. Five years back, uh, we did an analysis and we found that out of uh, 200 drugs which are available all over US and the European markets, only 40 drugs were available in India. And we wanted to establish genomics market. Now, uh, the overall crux or the principle of genomics market is that uh, you study the DNA sequence, you find the mutation, and based on that mutation, you find a targeted drug. Now, we don't have the drugs. So what we will do even after finding the mutation? So essentially, we are creating a market without having the solution. You think the SCPs will agree to that? Yeah, that's really tricky. I'm looking at this from an HCP perspective, and I see the problematic enhanced here. My question, yeah, it's it's very interesting. I, I'm I'm seeing what that pharma, when, well, pharma when introducing new drugs from market one market to another, or completely market access for a completely new drug. I think they're they're not using content correctly. So I'll tell you this. I come from a little bit of a so I'm in pharma for maybe like two years, and before that I used to have a job in pharma, but I switched in between industries. And I can tell you that I think. Pharma companies, whenever they create the omni-channel slash the multi-channel experience, they're focusing too much on sales and not that much on thought leadership and advocacy. Yes. Meaning, by that, I mean they try to sell too much, which creates a burden, actually, for the HTPs. Like, well, they're trying to push this product, you know, which means if, if they, they want it too much, you know, they, they say, if you want this too much, then most certainly that's going to happen. So I'm, I'm seeing a few changes, actually, in Asia. When we were in Asia, in the Philippines, in the conference, I spoke with a content agency which provided content for big pharma. And the challenge within pharma lies that they do have, they do want to make new content that will create more advocacy, but they have no idea how to create that content because pharma is good at producing drugs and basically going through regulatory and all of that things. But pharma doesn't know how to create good content that will create advocacy. So what these guys did uh, is that basically they helped, they, the content agency went uh, in the fields with the doctors and they created viral content of how doctors interact with HCPs locally in the areas. And they also helped them like create distribution on like on TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, a lot of doctors in, in on Facebook, on Meta. And that created a lot of advocacy for, let's say, I'll give you an example. It was a, a heart, it was a heart drug. That's number one. Number two, they, they also created a lot of content because pharma has a problem that, let's say, there is a certain pharmaceutical company which has a lot of ex expertise in a certain domain. Again, heart diseases. But they have a problem with basically packaging all that expertise and sending it through a multi-omni-channel approach to uh, their doctors because they have just no idea how to do that. They have no idea how to do in so terms, in marketing terms, calling that content marketing, which will create more advocacy. So mm -hmm. the agency also called, helped them create more content about and awareness about solutions for heart diseases, new types of heart diseases and so on, and how those can be solved. What's a very interesting, there is a twist here, not only with their, pro with, with their own products, yeah, with that particular brand, which created all this content, but with competitors and also listed what's very interesting. It also listed the, the advantages and the disadvantages of using several products in the space, in the niche, which mm -hmm. basically they did a lot of advocacy and they, they, they did, they basically unsold, they unsold, they, they experienced their product, but they mm -hmm. pay by selling it 
by basically packaging it differently. And it was a great success. A lot of doctors, because doctors, most of the doctors, let's face it, they're a bit skeptical. They, they have to be skeptical about new drugs. They have That's to be, it. yes. So by basically coming up front and saying, okay, we, we have this new drug, but and these are the competitors we have. And there is a certain risk that is that comes up with taking these drugs. And we have seen this and this. And these are the competitors. By ba basically being more transparent and seeing a full picture of that, for for me personally, if I was a doctor, it would be my, way more transparent. I would have more way more trust in that particular drug coming mm -hmm. if I would see the full picture, right? And yeah. it would come forward. So I think that's the way how pharma should transform its journey and use a lot of digital. Maybe you have any comments to this, to this case I was explaining. Yeah, but you are absolutely right in saying that. See, there will be always inhibition by the physician because they are directly seeing the scenario in terms of the patient outcome, in terms of how the patient is responding to a given drug. A lot of that scrutiny is because their reputation is on stake when they are treating these patients. Let's be honest about that. Other thing, other thing is all these HCPs are continuously trying to learn new things. So if you can make that journey, uh, giving that knowledge, that information to them in a seamless way, they will definitely advocate your product, provided your product is high quality and it promise, and it meets the promise what it is saying in the brochure which is being given. And if you are upfront to the doctors about and honest about the pros and the cons of using a product, that gives them a lot of leverage when they are working on a given situation or in a given scenario in terms of the symptoms, in terms of, you know, any ill effects which a drug can have. Yeah, it's so basically I'm for the movement that that takes out the doctors from a passive, from a passive situation where he's being sold to a situation when the doctor has the knowledge and he or she can basically make the choice of what drug to use based on the information given by the, by the you know, pharma companies, right? And I think objectively, I think it is a better situation because you give the people freedom to basically choose what medicine, what drug they're going to use without overselling it to them. And I think that's what I'm seeing in a lot of industries now. Like people have the freedom, they yeah. will be able to choose. And I'm seeing the buyer journey, like the buyer, the, in this case, the HCP journey change, even in Asia or mm -hmm. countries like in America where we were recently with the platforms. Okay. The thought leadership in this domain. As a pharma company, if you want to be seen as a thought leader, as a pioneer in your field, that's how you have to. You have to strengthen. You have to give the bar to physicians to make that informed decision. I have a question for you. So I would say that in a lot of cases, you know, there are certain challenges that you face when you introduce a new drug. What are the, let's say, common challenges that maybe you faced or you've seen? new drug new drugs are facing in the asian market let's say when they are introduced yeah so when you are introducing a product the biggest challenge for any market is especially for the pharma companies is meeting the regulatory requirements 
when i'm saying regulatory requirements it could be very different for different countries don't go by the norm that what was relevant for one market will be still relevant for the other market we assume that regulations which are good enough for us or the european market should hold true for indian market african market or even for south asian market but what has happened that people have become more stringent here so they follow the us fda uh, regulations the european uh, regulations as well as they have their own regulations and those regulations don't only come in terms of the quality of the drug which you are introducing in the market those regulations also come in terms of the pricing which you want to introduce in the market the price point which you are introducing those can mm-hmm. also come in uh, terms of anti competitive for the product those can also come in terms of uh, how you are reaching uh, in terms of the messaging which you are cities those should be very transparent and once you have everything in place then the product should be ready to launch in the market mm-hmm. right i like i like the answer okay i have a few of the how involved are you in the sales and, and marketing of, of new drugs or you're more the you know the regulatory part all of that so uh, i'm more involved in the marketing of the drug sales not so much but i uh, do have kind of the role in terms of helping because they are the warriors they are under, they are going and facing the market they are studying the uh, su- subtle changes which is happening in the market and they are bringing back that information from the market in terms of which competitor is active in terms of which is the drug which is being prescribed now and how our product can uh, replace or can be used in tandem with the other options which are available with the scps so those information needs to be uh, like to and fro and marketing on its own cannot function it has high strategic value only when you incorporate all these information from the market and then you are ready to uh, come back with a refined strategy because uh, just uh, the product introduction is not your job is not done you have to think in terms of the roi you have to think in terms of the market share you have to think in terms of the break even which has to be reached for a given drug you have to think in terms of the investment you have to think in terms of the refinements which are needed the marketing messages messaging which we were talking just a while back that has to be refined based on these market intelligence the competitive intelligence so competition driven marketing strategies has to be incorporated and that cannot be done in isolation so that's where we are dependent a lot on the sales colleagues interesting okay my experience like so again i do marketing but we are uh, like a serum so what's your experience with e detailers or clm products have you used any of those Uh, few we uh, we have used uh, e detailed uh, detailing products at the clm we do feel that helps in gaining the traction in terms of that top of mind uh, brand recall in terms of making your product under good enough in terms of the information good enough for the physician or for the end customers to understand who are buying those drugs over the counter certain drugs are over the counter also they are available so for all those things uh, we have found it pretty useful but yeah uh, those are okay so my question is like my experience of the indian market is that a very small part of indian pharma or let's say indian manufacturers are using e detailers because sure. for some reason there is a well in india doctors prefer flash visits so my question would be you as a marketer if the companies you work with let's say manufacturers do not use e detailers how can you track like if if a certain what kpis what parameters what engagement metrics do you use to track if 
the basically the eff efficacy of your campaign for a certain drug? Is it only just, I don't know, keep your eyes from the field? Oh, I think this doctor didn't like it. Or like, what, how do you track that? How do you measure that? So for e-details and for these campaign effectiveness, the method remains the same. The CTR links are there, how much time these HCPs are spending on a given uh, link or the site which you have set. Or if they are filling any kind of forms for the webinar or the seminar which is coming. Beside that, we do a lot of targeted marketing, but those targeted marketing are very specific need-based targeted marketing, geotagging, which we have done for a few of the products. So geotagging is actually, if I have to tell you, you have to find the population, the HCPs are dominant, maybe a residential place, maybe around the hospitals, and then you start sending your messages, the very targeted messages for those HCPs. Suppose a cancer hospital is there, and the neighboring, you will be sure that around 80% of the HCPs who are there, they will be can, uh, somehow related to this particular domain. And then you send a targeted uh, messages and information through emailers, through your e-detailing or through the web forms which you are distributing or the browser link which you want to share with them. They will access and you will get those information. It would not... Physicians are also very busy, so they would not get so much of time to really sit and go through everything which you are sending. And that's why the omni-channel way of marketing is essential if you want to cover them. Suppose they are in their clinic, they are browsing through mobile, they went to their desk while they are prescribing something to their patient, noting down the symptoms in their particular given software, the ARP software, the medical recording software. And they are sideways browsing. So the same information should show up there, what they were interested in. Through the email, you send the link for the webinar on that given topic. That's how you generate that kind of market uh, need or the HCP's uh, preference. So pharma, listen up. You have to use a detailers and you have to use content marketing because that will create way more advocacy for your products than just selling. That's some advice from Dr. Rashmi here. Okay, I have a few more questions to finish this podcast with. How, well, what, do you use any, what, what would be the latest thing that you've discovered for yourself in terms of like marketing new drugs or in terms of marketing for pharma? That's a very interesting question. Well, ChatGPT maybe, yeah, maybe using that and then, you know. See, one wave of revolution which is happening because of chat GPT or because of the quiz which are now available is, uh, and the farmers are actively doing that. What they are doing is earlier the information brochure which was supplied with any of the products for uh, the farmer, they were manually read. And a copy of those uh, brochures were sent to regulatory authorities, policy making before you launch your product. And also a copy is given to the patient. If you have bought any of those drugs, you see those brochures. Mm -hmm. It's very important that whatever information is given in those brochures is very accurate, up to date. And it's a, written in uh, a language which is understandable. There should not be, uh, you know, certain times uh, things could be written in such a way that it would not make the same sense which yes. the pharma company wanted to convey. And it could create a lot of confusion in the patient or the HCP who is prescribing that drug, that language. So now they are training all the the big pharma companies. If I have to name, GSK is doing that, Merck is doing that. My previous organization, Merck, they kind of, they made these kind of softwares, these kind of machine learning algorithms, which can read through these huge documents. And they are making it a very automated process. 
And this has cut down the time which was needed to go through these scripts. And there were built thousands of pages of scripts which were generated from anywhere from one month now within five minutes or so. Everything is ready in terms of the language, in terms of the information, the barcode, the requirements which are needed to portray certain times. You might miss certain information which has to be given. So AI is bringing a lot of revolution. And I'm very excited and very happy to see that because when first, I think it was in 2010 or so, when Microsoft and Google they were announcing that they are working on something similar in terms of the electronic data management for patients, getting those data and using that for the preclinical, clinical studies and all those things. There was a lot of controversy, a lot of talks happening that time. But that, that itself sounded very remarkable. Now we are seeing after 10 15 years we are seeing the result of all those efforts mm -hmm. yeah that's that you know a long a long journey starts with a small step so i think yeah. ai wasn't created in one day it took ages and ages and generations to make the leap i'm certainly seeing a lot of a good use of ai in pharma although a lot of pharma people will say oh i'm not using ai they will still use ChatGPT, but, you know, for their own tasks, <laughs> or something that was not mentioned. So, you know, instead of complaining about it, you can embrace the change and sort of like roll with it. I have my last question for you. So do you, if there was something that you could tell the upcoming, so there, if there was a potential client who would contact you and say, what would be your best advice you can give me when I start implementing certain strategies when it comes to market access for a drug, for a product? What would you what kind of advice would you give yeah well that that's a very deep question and that requires a lot of strategic thinking and a lot of know-how of different markets you have you might have seen examples where companies who are far ahead in their game in terms of having that bigger market share or having that patient advocacy or hcps advocating those drugs when they launch into a different market a newer market, they go by the same rules. They go as if uh, they would gain the market share, which they were enjoying back home. And they will have the same kind of reciprocation from the patient and from the HCPs. The case might be very different. So instead of going head on in these kind of market, what you should be doing as a pharma company is you should be looking at those very targeted segment for your products, for your for launching your products, very targeted market spaces for launching your product, because that will save a lot of financial burnout. Uh, uh, you can refine your strategy at a smaller scale before you reach out to the larger scale, and it will give you a feel of the market. A lot of time, there is so much of disparity in terms of the pricing, in terms of the product availability. You might want to capture a market, but you might not be uh, able to supply uh, to that market in its uh, full in your full capacity what the demand is there in market, and that's uh, why a lot of homing of a uh, uh, lot of pharma manufacturing has happened after COVID because the supply chain was disrupted so much. So all these things, when you will combine together, and in layman terms, we call it guerrilla marketing strategy, that what you should be aiming at when you are going to a newer market with a newer product, which nobody knows. Because when you are adopting to that kind of a very targeted, very niche approach, you have a bandwidth to evolve, to modify, to change your strategy before, it's a, before you burn out the cash or before you burn out everything. 
So okay. test it with dealers, test it with channel partners, and then you enter the market. That's the best strategy. I mean, that sounds like solid advice. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you for this podcast, Dr. Rashmi. For for our listeners who want to find you or maybe contact you, what's the best way to contact you and, and where can they find you? Yeah, they can contact me on LinkedIn. I'll be, as in when time is available, I'll be able to answer any queries or any information they need in terms of the Indian market or in terms of pharma in general. And you know, Stefan, it was equally very nice speaking with you since you have done so much of work in pharma marketing. It's like speaking to another colleague who knows the market, who knows the pain point and who knows the dynamics which goes in these markets. So thank you so much for having me here. Thank you very much. I'm blushing right now. You can see that because of red light. But yeah, I'm doing my best to basically stay updated with the newest trends and basically do a lot of advocacy for the best practices in the industry. So that's what we're doing with the podcast as well. Thank you, doctor. And I wish you a great day and, uh, you know, much success in your endeavors, in your journey. Thank you. See you, Stephen.